the most memorable interviews and listener calls from the week that was on Fight Back with Libby Zneimer. Welcome to the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown. Good afternoon and welcome to the Sunday edition of the best of Fight Back. More of what you want to hear from the week that was. The federal conservatives have been trying to keep voters focused on the SNC-Lavalin affair in the wake of the Ethics Commissioner's damning report on Prime Minister Trudeau's handling of the engineering giant's bribery case. The first polls taken after the report was released show the SNC affair has not changed voters' intentions or hurt the Liberals' chances of re-election, which makes you wonder if the conservative strategy is a good one. Libby Snymer spoke with conservative leader Andrew Scheer, who insists this has nothing to do with the upcoming election. This isn't about... Uh partisan politics keeping something in the news. It's about getting to the bottom of the details of Trudeau's corruption scandal. Uh, What we know is that he broke the law. He interfered in a a criminal court case to try to get a special deal for uh, his friends at SNC-Lavalin. And Canadians are very concerned when they see powerful politicians doing that. We don't want to live in the kind of country where a prime minister can interfere in the course of justice. Uh, People flee from countries all over the world where that happens. And uh, conservatives are going to do everything we can to get the truth out so that ultimately Canadians can make the decision on October 21st. The report was very detailed. It was scathing. What makes you think that there's more? Well, uh, specifically because we know that there were at least nine witnesses who were prevented from testifying to the ethics commissioner. In his report, he he details that he was not able to fully investigate this matter because Justin Trudeau blocked witnesses from testifying and refused to grant a full waiver. So there's still more to know. There are still details that are hidden here. Uh, Ms. Wilson-Raybould herself and Jane Philpott, uh, the two MPs who were kicked out of the Liberal Party just for telling the truth, have also said that there's more to this story that needs to come out. So my question for Justin Trudeau is, what more could there possibly be? This is already damning enough for him and his government. Uh, what could he possibly be hiding? It must be pretty serious. And that's why we're going to continue to do everything we can. Well, Jody Wilson-Raybould also said that she did not think he was guilty of criminal wrongdoing. Are you saying you believe he is guilty of criminal wrongdoing? Well, it's important to remember that Ms. Wilson-Raybould said that before he came out with this new information. And in this report, uh, the commissioner says that there was an ongoing uh, scheme between the Prime Minister's office and S.C. Lavalin, who were the defendants in the case, that the Attorney General did not know was happening. So when, on the one hand, you've got officials talking to the defendant and trying to come up with a strategy to get them off the hook, and then going to the Attorney General trying to get her to overturn a decision without her knowledge, that to me rises to the level of obstructing justice. And that is new information that was not known when Ms. Wilson-Raybould was first asked that question. And that's why I've referred it to the RCMP. So are you saying you believe he is guilty of a criminal offense? Well, we live in a country where that is determined by a court of law, not by a politician. I believe that there are enough here for a criminal investigation. Uh, that's why I've referred this to the uh, RCAP. It will be up to them to take it from there. Uh, I, uh, I certainly believe that there's enough here to warrant this investigation. When you think about, uh, can you imagine the same scenario where uh, people were trying to get someone off the hook, so they were talking to the defendant and then go 
to the prosecutor, leaning on the prosecutor to drop the charges. Uh, that's exactly the nature of what we're talking about here. And I think in any other situation, uh, that would certainly warrant an investigation. And that's why we're pushing for one now. Uh, the first polls that were done after the ethics commissioner's report came out uh, were out this morning, and they show that the needle did not move. Were you surprised by that? Well, uh, look, uh, this is not about polling information. This is not about trying to uh, capitalize in a, in a political way. This is trying... This Come is on, a, we're, we're heading into an election. No, no this, is, this is about trying to do what's right and trying to get the truth. And the timing of this is all because of Justin Trudeau. This is not in any way uh, determined by the opposition. If Justin Trudeau had to come clean in the spring, uh, this all would have happened then. But the reason why this is coming out now, just before an election, is because he refused to cooperate. And it took the Ethics Commissioner's report uh, to get to some of these details to light. Uh, I'm confident that Canadians will hold Justin Trudeau responsible for abusing the, his position and breaking the law. And I'm not really going to be looking at daily polling or weekly polling. I'm going to be taking this message to Canadians. Why they should care about this issue is we do not want to live in the kind of country where elected officials can interfere in a court case to get their friends off the hook. That is a slippery slope that will take us to a very, very dark place if we don't do something about it right now. Federal Conservative leader Andrew Scheer in conversation with Libby Snymer. You're listening to the best of Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. As for the polls, which suggest the SNC-Lavalin affair is no longer hurting the Liberals' chances of re-election, an online Leger poll says the Liberals and Conservatives are tied at 33% support. A DART poll shows the Conservatives at 39%. That's an increase of 2%, but mostly in places like Alberta, where they're expected to sweep. The Liberals are behind in this poll, but holding steady at 32 percent. But the percentage of those Canadian voters who think the Liberals deserve to be reelected is lower at 26 percent. Joining Libby to discuss, John Wright, partner at DART C-Suite Communicators. Number one, the Liberals in all of the polls have not moved around really at all. Um, they're all sitting at around anywhere between, you know, 31 and 35 percent, which, you know, given a margin of error is pretty steady. Number two is that you want, if you are the governing party, to have some momentum at the moment, and it's not going anywhere. It's just sitting there. And so while you can debate, you know, whether the top line vote is moving around and the conservatives are getting a few more points here or there in the country, there is an underlying set of questions that we always ask, and and it's endemic to the polling groups. And that is, does the government deserve to be reelected, or is it time for a change? You, You primarily don't vote a government in, you vote a government out. And this becomes a critical thing about any campaign. You want to get Mr. and Mrs. Glutz to get up off the couch to make their way to a voting booth and put their X on something so that they determine it um, and are able to, you know, vote for a party. The problem with the liberals right now is that while some people are going to say, yes, I would vote for them tomorrow, the underlying dynamics here are actually saying that about 10% less would actually go out and put their X where they're supposed to do it. So, Andrew Scheer, we're not into the campaign yet. We call this the phony war. Probably we'll be into the campaign about the second week of September, where everybody kind of locks in and you start seeing a whole lot more advertising and a whole lot more commitment. 
What the conservative leader is saying today about this piece is, look, I want to just keep it talked about so the liberals don't get to have any more talking points about other things because they're going to get asked about this. And, and quote, I don't really care about polls and other things because, you know, the true path through to the election will start in another few weeks. But underlying this, the biggest problem is the liberals are going to have to get those people who, even though they might say they could vote for the liberals, actually to go out and do it. And that is their problem because roughly only 25 to 30 percent, somewhere in that range, are actually saying they'd go and vote for them. And that's not enough to even get a minority. So that's the biggest fight. Each one of these parties is fighting over about 10 to 12 percent of the population to go out and vote for them. And that's where the, in fact, the conservatives do have an edge because more people want to throw the government out than want to keep this one in. Anything else you'd like to leave us with? I, I think you want to return to that about the second week in September when everybody else in this country starts to tune in, which they haven't to date, and the campaign is actually ramping up to go full force. And we look at what they're actually selling at that time. And we all must remember at that point in time, Justin Trudeau in the last campaign, 2015, was a mere speck on whether or not people thought he was the right leader or had the right stuff over Stephen Harper to run this country. But in the final two and a half weeks of that campaign, he managed to be able to say, I've got it. I've got six million young millennials who are with me, and you can trust me to bring you hope, whereas the other guy's just going to give you whatever you've got. If you can find that nugget and follow it through to the end of the campaign and translate it into regions and different types of people, then that's going to be a pathway to who's going to win or not, either a minority or a majority. So let's revisit this in the middle of September to see if we can see any change in how they're doing this and then follow that little nugget until the end of the campaign. That was John Wright, partner at DART C-Suite Communicators. I'm Jane Brown, and this is Zoomer Radio's Best of Fight Back. We've all heard about road rage leading to violence, but in some cases, it's taken place in parking lots. A brawl recently happened at a Mississauga Costco parking lot over a parking spot. Peel police say one driver attacked another with keys. Witnesses called the police, captured it on video, and a 37-year-old man was charged with assault with a weapon in the aftermath of that incident. Dr. Steve Albrecht is a threat assessment expert and former San Diego police officer. He joined Libby to discuss. I mean, if you look at the concept of violence in general, we see it at the mall, we see it in parking spaces, we see it at movie theaters. So human beings are violent creatures. It's not a surprise that it gets spread out from places we sort of expect it to be, shootings and whatnot. But the road rage thing is kind of be can taken at places like the airplane, uh, on the subway, uh, in any kind of situation where people are close together and there's conflict. What makes one person sort of let it go? If somebody scoops my parking spot, uh, it annoys me, but I'll let it go. Uh, and another person, you know, go to fisticuffs. It's a big connection to anger and really unmanaged anger. People that have a hard time with the stressors in their life take it out on other people. The smallest thing sets them off. You and I would be irritated for five seconds and move on. They're irritated for the rest of their day. 
And they have a tendency to do these things in lots of situations where somebody bumps into them, whether there's some social situation, and it really goes back to just unmanaged anger. How do you know if you have unmanaged anger? Well, the people around you may tell you uh, it's not a great thing to do in front of your kids or your spouse or partner. A lot of people put their job, their, their freedom, their health at risk with unmanaged anger, meaning that, you know, when they lash out and they end up getting arrested or getting fired, sometimes they're you know, deeply sorry about it afterwards, but they don't have the insight when those types of anger feelings are happening to stop themselves. What's the line, though? I mean, it's one thing. You might have uh, unmanaged anger and you might yell at somebody. But again, the the line from that into violence. Well, there's a couple steps. The first step is some type of grievance. And the other thing is some type of violent ideation. Sometimes you have a grievance against somebody which lasts weeks or months or years you know, an ex-spouse or a former boss or somebody that did you wrong as a friend, but we don't have a violent ideation towards them. People that lash out like this, parking lots, road rage, things like that, the movement from a grievance to a violent ideation takes place over a matter of seconds. Is there a certain sense of entitlement involved? It's like, that was my parking spot. If you look at road rage, whether it's on the road or in parking spaces, people have a sense of territoriality. You know, there's a phrase we, we hear sometimes, I do own the whole road. And there's a sense that, that when people are in close spaces with each other, and the other factor is being anonymous. Inside your car, nobody knows who you are, and there's no consequences typically for your behavior. I mean, unless you get captured on video or the cops happen to be nearby or security or something like that, there's probably not many consequences for you flipping somebody off or getting out of your car and threatening them. There's not a lot of consequences to that behavior. So being anonymous and no consequences and the concept of this sort of territoriality which is, this is my parking space, my piece of the road. It's a bad combination. And I guess people don't realize, like, this guy, it's over a parking spot, but now he's facing a criminal charge, not a joke. I mean, oftentimes people that do these things don't have much sense of insight into their own lives. And so they they smash around from one situation to another where their anger gets them in trouble. Sometimes it's connected to alcohol. Sometimes it's connected to just, you know, immaturity. We can have people that are, you know, fairly old that do these things. It's not just a young man's game. But, but the sense of, of unmanaged anger gets them into all kinds of problems. And then the only time they sometimes get insight is when the judge says, you got to go to treatment or, you know, it's part of your probation or I'm going to put you in jail or your health is at risk or your relationships are at risk. People say, I can't be around you when you're like this. Sometimes they, the light comes on, sometimes it doesn't. Basically, the message is, uh, if you get mad, just kind of chill out. Uh, take it, slow down your breathing, take a deep breath, maybe have a drink of water if it's available, and don't get out of your car if somebody else is mad at you, right? And, and ignore their behavior and get to work on time or get to, get to your house on time and don't get into situations where people are following you or chasing you or don't try to you know, drive, drive to your house with some, some maniac behind you. It's just not safe. Okay. And if, uh, if, if somebody does try to follow you, what do you do? I think you call the police and you describe the situation to the dispatcher. That's one of the benefits we have of cell phones to say, you know, we can stay on the line with them until the cops get behind this person. You know, don't don't pull over and, and, and you know, wait for the police to get there. Drive carefully, but get out of this person's way. Oftentimes what we see in these situations is the person who is chasing this other car that they're angry at, they lose they lose patience. They, they decide to go on their way. I mean, if it gets worse than that, you know, stay on the phone until the dispatchers can get the police to where you are. Anything else that you would like to leave us with? 
I mean, it's just all about patience with each other. And I think sometimes we get caught up in our own, our own stressors and we forget everybody else has the same stressors that we do. A little bit of patience, a little bit of focus on yourself rather than everybody else. These things would go away. Dr. Steve Albrecht, threat assessment expert and former San Diego police officer. You're listening to the best of Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. There were two tragic collisions involving pedestrians in Toronto this past week and both died in separate incidents. One was at Markham and Shepherd, the other at Steeles and Bayview. On Friday and Saturday, City Councilor Brad Bradford took part in Canada's first Vision Zero pop-up exhibit. The installation expanded pedestrian space on the Danforth to provide Torontonians with an example of how streets can become safer in the city. On Thursday, Brad Bradford joined Libby to discuss, along with Dylan Reed, Walk Toronto co-founder, and Sergeant Brett Moore of Toronto Police Traffic Services. Far too often these things are happening. Uh, we continue, it just really reinforces the fact that we've got to continue to talk Right. And there's, there's really nothing. Road safety, I've come to learn over the years. Um, it, it's such a polarized thing. People are very passionate on both sides. Um, uh, you know, whether drivers, pedestrians, cyclists, all those kinds of stuff. But there's not one other crime that sort of connects us all together as well, if you will. Right. You're more likely to be involved in some sort of a traffic crime than any other crime combined is the, is, is the saying that we use often. And it's true. If you think about it, very few people, thankfully, are involved in some of the, some of the, the events that are happening around our city, like guns, gangs, robberies, things like that. But you, but almost everybody can probably stop and think and knows somebody that's been involved in a crash, that's got a ticket, that has seen somebody do something silly, dangerous, risky behavior and thought, Jesus, what a, you know, what a foolish thing to do. And so that's what I want to talk about every chance we get. And when I say I, the Toronto Police Service and, and all of its members across the city um, are passionate and, and, and are really focused on uh, getting people to think differently and acting differently on our roads. I am now going to bring in Councillor Brad Bradford. We have known for a long time that Scarborough is the worst place for pedestrian crashes. Uh, we now know that uh, the woman who was killed in this very tragic crash yesterday was doing everything right. She mm-hmm. was crossing a crosswalk on a green light. Uh, as far as you know, is there anything in the design of that intersection that could have made it more likely that something bad was going to happen there. Certainly, you're right. Road design has a lot to do with these things. When we look out uh, the suburbs, particularly in Toronto, we have large arterial arterial roads with four or more lanes of traffic. And, uh, you know, generally, there's a lot of speeding that takes place. When you when you design a road that looks like a highway, people tend to drive it like a highway. And at our intersections, you know, there's lots of what, what we call pork chops in, in Toronto, where it's that sort of advanced right-hand turn lane. Uh, and the tendency is for people to be focused on the, uh, the, the traffic that they're merging into and not necessarily looking at uh, pedestrians or cyclists that might be moving through the intersection as well. So your attention is actually turned the opposite direction of where you're looking because you're, you're trying to merge into traffic. And we run into these sort of conflicts uh, all the time. So design is a big part of this, uh, normalizing these intersections, um, making sure that our streets are designed in a way where we can achieve the speeds that we want to actually see on them. And uh, we got a lot of work to do. I'd like to bring in Dylan Reed. Uh, he is a co-founder of Walk Toronto. Dylan, what's your reaction to this latest crash? It's just all too uh, typical, um, as Councillor Bradford was saying, uh, 
Um, Scarborough is the most dangerous part of Toronto for pedestrians. As you were saying earlier, uh, uh, senior pedestrians are the ones who are most likely to be killed in Toronto. Uh, it's painfully, painfully familiar. And I think it's also important to, you know, go back to the fact that she was doing everything right. Um, the Toronto uh, Public Health did a study a few years ago to see, you know, who was doing what when, when pedestrians are killed and injured. And they found that in two-thirds of the cases, pedestrians are doing everything right. They're crossing with the right-of-way, and they're still getting hit. Um, so, you know, I think it's really important to, to, to keep that in mind um, when we're thinking about how to make these situations better. And Sergeant Moore, what would you like to leave us with in the wake of this terrible, terrible crash? And by the way, I'm really glad that you have started to refer to that as road violence and not accident. No, that's uh, something we've worked for a long time to try to change that language, right? These are crashes and collisions and they're preventable. We know that for sure, but it does really boil down uh, in, in, in many, many cases to uh, people just thinking differently, right? It, it's uh, Nobody starts their day thinking they're going to be involved in anything like this, but it's bad habits. It's, it's these things that happen that we do every day uh, that speed even, you know, 10 kilometers over, maybe you don't fully stop at the stop sign. Those kinds of things creep up and create awful habits that one day will catch up to you. And I think that that's our part of all of our campaigns and our and our public messaging is to think differently about you know, how we use our roads and, and, and about others and, uh, at the same time. That was Libby Snymer in conversation with City Councillor Brad Bradford, Dylan Reed, Walk Toronto co-founder, and Sergeant Brett Moore of Toronto Police Traffic Services. I'm Jane Brown. This is Zoomer Radio's Best of Fight Back. Fight Back with Libby Snymer brings you comprehensive coverage of the news stories that interest you and your reaction to them on the phones. We've gone through the audio. Here are some of the best calls of the week. Anthony in Niagara phoned to say he's starting to like the new People's Party of Canada ahead of the October election. Well, I'm all confused, I'll be honest with you. There's so much garbage going on, like in this country here, where I really don't know where to go anymore. I mean, if you know... We have a prime minister that has lied to us, has done everything possible just to get votes. I mean, we should all know that he's not the guy for us. So here I go to the Conservative Party. Now, people are saying, well, he's not strong enough. He's not this. He's not that. And everybody's saying, guess what? Maxine Bernier seems to be the one. And you know something? I think so, too, now. Stephen in Parkdale phoned to say he thinks two of the big players in federal politics have made missteps. I'm wondering how much Andrew Scheer shot himself in the foot this weekend by still boycotting uh, a gay pride uh, uh, march. Uh, you know, so the liberals have trouble with their ethics. The uh, Tories have trouble with their tolerances. Uh, how, how much does that impact on the people? Also, one question that Ms. Rabel was never asked is why did she hang on to her membership in the party until they fired her rather than her quitting the party? I never understood that. Don in Toronto called with his thoughts on the prisoner known as Jihadi Jack. If he's over there, he had his problem over there, then they should look after it. You know, every time they want to come back to Canada... There's only reason, one reason they want to come back here. They go to court, and even if they're found guilty, they're going to get three or four years, and they're going to walk the street in one year. But if he did it over there, let them handle it. Britain doesn't want him back. Why should we want him back? And now, Fightback's Knockout Call of the Week. 
There were a lot of great calls this week, but the winner of the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week comes from Pat in Georgetown, who says she's against allowing Jack Letts, or Jihadi Jack, to come to Canada after he's been accused of joining ISIS terrorists. This is a man who went over there with murder in his heart to kill as many people as he could. Nobody has forgotten the other one who got Omar Khadr, who got $10 million, and God help us if we ever did that again. Why should we bring him back, a man who has radicalized and loved the life over there enough to stay there? He should stay where he created the problem and not ever come back here. Leave our people alone. In some instances, a Canadian is not a Canadian is not a Canadian. Just because you have a passport, live up to the Canadian values and don't ever expect anything less. That does it for this week's Best of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. If you'd like to qualify for the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week, phone us noon to one weekdays at 416-360-0740 on Zoomer Radio. AM 740 and 96.7 FM in downtown Toronto. Or if you have a comment, email us at fightbackzoomer.ca and follow us on Twitter at FightbackLibby. I'm Jane Brown. I'll be on vacation for the next couple of weekends. Make sure to join Bob Kompsik for a roundup of the best of Fight Back. The best of Fight Back is produced by Jane Brown, Justin Eacock, and Zeev Hadi, with technical production by Kelly Robotham, executive producer Moses Nimer.